In 2023, Governor Kathy Hochul signed legislation extending the life of New York's Interagency Task Force on Human Trafficking for another four years. In light of this extension, we wanted to learn more about the task force and the issue of human trafficking more broadly. To do all of that, we're joined in the Capitol Press Room studio by Julina Guo, Director of Human Trafficking Prevention at the Division of Criminal Justice Services. Welcome to the studio, Julina. Thanks, David. Good to be here. And also with us is Estelle Davis, Assistant Director and Coordinator of the Response to Human Trafficking Program at the State Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance. Thanks for joining us, Estelle. Thank you, David, for having us. Well, for starters, what are the different forms that trafficking can take and How prevalent is it within New York's borders? So I would say we have two main forms of trafficking. And when we're talking about trafficking, we're talking about the use of force, fraud, or coercion to compel someone into work, any form of labor, or commercial sex. And for force, you know, I think that's pretty well understood as physical violence or threats of physical violence. Fraud, we think of as a future promise that the person who's making the promise has no intention of fulfilling. So I will help you get a green card. I will get you a modeling career. Any of those types of things that are promises that are used to induce somebody into the labor. And the last one, coercion, is a little bit more nuanced, and those are threats. So I will expose a secret you don't want exposed to your family. I will call immigration, I will call the police and falsely accuse you of a crime. Things along those lines that are used to coerce somebody into continued labor. And how prevalent is trafficking or do we have even a good sense of how prevalent it is if it is something that's largely under the radar? It is largely under the radar, which is one of the challenges uh, for data tracking, um, for law enforcement and for all kinds of state agencies as well, unfortunately. The fact is that we know it's happening across all areas of our state. Uh, We will talk a little bit about our confirmation process, which Estelle and I run jointly, OTDA and DCJS together. And through the referrals that we receive, we can tell that the referrals are coming from all areas of the state. They're coming from urban areas. They're coming from rural areas. They're coming from New York City. They're coming from all counties in upstate New York. So we can safely say, unfortunately, it is a problem that we have to address on the state level and on the local level as well. And I think one important point to point out is that there are many misconceptions of what trafficking may look like. So one thing that we want to just be clear about is that trafficking does not only happen in certain parts of the state. You know, it's, it's happening all over the place, unfortunately. But there's also a misconception that trafficking only occurs to certain types of people. And, you know, when we think about how in recent years trafficking has been depicted in the media or in popular culture uh, or the entertainment business, the images that are conjured up are of uh, women or, you know, teenagers or maybe even girls uh, who are often kidnapped uh, from the streets by strangers and they're forced to be you know, locked in in an unknown location and have no way of escaping um, their traffickers. While that certainly does happen, one thing we want to be clear about is that uh, there are many different forms that trafficking can take. It can look many different ways. And Estelle just mentioned, you know, force, fraud, and coercion are the three means that traffickers can use. And coercion, you know, psychological threats or manipulation can be very subtle and implicit uh, and can wear somebody down uh, on a psychological uh, traumatic level. So uh, that is something that we want to just put out there is that trafficking um, can affect 
all kinds of people, you know, boys, men, women, girls, uh, members of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, it doesn't discriminate based on age. It happens to people of all ages. Um, and it certainly doesn't happen um, in only, you know, small subsets of our population. Well, then are there steps that individuals can take or resources that people can utilize to avoid becoming victims of trafficking? Certainly. We think that awareness is a very powerful tool in New York State. Um, And in recent years, New York State and Governor Hochul have made great strides in bringing out and increasing awareness. Um, So, for example, we have state laws that mandate human trafficking training for hotel employees who may come into contact with guests. Uh, We have mandated training for hospital staff. We have mandated areas where uh, hospitals, hotels, and also transportation hubs have to post posters and informational you know, cards and posters on trafficking with the National Human Trafficking Hotline phone number. So um, in recent years, I think that really demonstrates the efforts that we've all made to bring greater awareness to this very critical issue. Is there any evidence to date, though, that those additional locations where the information is made available to report these instances or spread awareness that people are utilizing them? Are people saying, yep, I was at a hotel and I saw this sign and it reminded me of this? Do you have any sort of evidence that indicates that? We don't have any empirical evidence, but we do have anecdotal evidence. I've often heard people say once they know that I work in the realm of anti-human trafficking that they've noticed posters on the walls of the hotel rooms that they go into. I myself have noticed them. We also get calls from stakeholders across the state. So, you know, just as an example, I got a call last week from a staff member at a hospital inquiring about, um, you know, new versions of posters that we might have for trafficking. So they are aware of these statutes and these obligations on their parts. And we see that it's making a difference and we hope that it will continue to make a difference. So according to the 2021 annual report from the Interagency Task Force on Human Trafficking, which is the most current available report, human trafficking referrals continued to spike that year with 344 cases referred to the state. What do you attribute that recent uptick to? Well, I would say there's a couple different things. Greater identification of cases. We presume that there's a much larger realm of individuals that are actually being trafficked than are being identified in accessing services. And as our referral number comes up, we can sort of see. So in the most recent year, in 2023, we received 412 referrals, of which 322 were confirmed. One of the things we like to say is that in identifying people, it's not necessarily that you can look at them and say, oh, this person looks traffic. It's developing a relationship where that individual feels comfortable and feels like there's a benefit to them to revealing information that's deeply personal and may be shameful in some instances, or they may be afraid of their trafficker. So what we like to do is make sure that they have the National Human Trafficking Hotline, We also fund 11 service providers statewide that provide first emergency services. So if the individual needs shelter, maybe the trafficker was connected to their housing. If they need assistance for food, if they left the situation without any clothing, if they don't have transportation, if they don't have identification, all of those scenarios we've come across in our cases. So the service providers can help with case management assisting with emergency services, and then as the person gets to a place where they're more stable, we can look at longer-term needs, 
healthcare, mental health services. There may be substance use referrals that are needed and employment related services, either education or job training placement to ensure that they have opportunities for long-term stability. So is it then kind of a double-edged sword if you have an uptick in case referrals? Because one, it means you're more aware of things that are going on, but on the other hand, maybe there's an increase in human trafficking. We definitely had service providers report that they had clients they had worked with previously that came back to them during the pandemic Mm -hmm. when businesses were closed and they didn't have employment opportunities or when housing situations became untenable. So the service providers reported an increase in cases in late 2020 and 2021. I think as long as we're seeing the individuals and getting them connected to service providers, we feel like we're doing our job. And in the wake of the 2007 law that set up the Interagency Task Force on Human Trafficking, what sort of changes or updates were there to the referral process and that relationship between OTADA and DCJS? Well, since the law passed in 2007, there's been an addition that allows established social and legal services providers to also provide referrals through the New York State confirmation process. And so previously, it was that law enforcement officials and district attorney's offices were the only ones that were able to submit these referrals to us. Since 2007, we've been able to see an increase in the number of referrals, in part because of that amendment to the law, which allowed a broader scope of service providers to submit referrals to our attention. And since 2007, you know, the ITF has been active. We meet regularly every year. We just had our kickoff meeting in January just a couple of weeks ago for our strategic planning for this year of 2024. And we're excited to see what the future brings, and we're committed to further collaboration with our agency partners. I read in one of the old reports that prior to 2020, referrals could only be submitted via fax. Is that true? And if so, is there some reason for that? And if it is, what was the rationale behind updating it? And has that been a smooth process? It was um, a little bit of an onboarding process in 2020 to get the form set up mm-hmm. online. And the reason it was initially fax was because fax was considered the most secure form of communication. It couldn't be intercepted. So we have an online program that's been working very smoothly and has all of the security and protections in place for confidential information. And it did expedite our ability to handle the claims as they've been coming in and to transport the information between DCJS and OTDA. So recently, in the past couple of years at the Capitol, there's been a conversation about ensuring that victims of trafficking aren't held responsible, say, for certain crimes that they may have committed while victims of trafficking. And I'm curious whether you have already seen or expect to see that lead to more case referrals, because maybe people aren't so afraid of repercussions from what they may or may not have done uh, while they're being trafficked. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of motion on the 440 motions to vacate previous convictions. There's also been increased training by the New York State Bar Association, by the various regional task forces, on having criminal defense attorneys identify when it is a forced criminality situation on the basis of trafficking. And moving forward, is there anything that you imagine the task force will be looking for the legislature and the governor in terms of additional authority or resources? 
I think that's always a tough question. We know that resources are limited and, and there are many different pockets in the state where funds and resources are needed. Certainly trafficking is one of those areas. We have some state-run programs such as the Safe Harbor Program that's overseen by OCFS, the Office of Children and Family Services, that provides services to sexually exploited children. There's also the runaway and homeless youth programs that are also overseen by OCFS, both of which depend on funding year after year. As with trafficking, there's so much work always to be done. So I think we are consistently trying to do more outreach, trying to do more trainings, and thinking about other experts in the field that we can bring in to speak with interagency task force, to educate us about their areas of expertise and how we can collectively use all of our different areas of expertise to tackle this problem together. Has the increase in asylum seekers led to, or do you think that it is leading to an increase in trafficking because this is theoretically a population that could be more prone to coercion that could lead them to trafficking? And if it is something that you're concerned about, is the state doing anything right now to potentially ward off these cases of trafficking that might be occurring? We definitely think of new immigrant arrivals as potentially vulnerable to trafficking, in particular labor trafficking. So an employer that's threatening them on the basis of the immigration status or because they don't have the knowledge of the New York State labor laws. So an employer that tells them you're not entitled to overtime or an employer that tells them you're not entitled to be paid all hours you worked. The New York State Department of Labor does screen complaints for potential trafficking. They look at did your employer ever threaten you and then drill down on those questions to find out whether it might meet the definition of trafficking. Is there an overlap between something like wage theft and trafficking, or can wage theft then evolve into trafficking potentially? We definitely think of wage theft as a potential indicator of trafficking. If somebody is not being paid and they are working these hours, what is the reason that they are staying in this position? Is there some element of force, fraud, or coercion? And finally, from my perspective, uh, Stella, you mentioned some 2023 data. Julina, you mentioned the interagency task force meeting again, I think, in early 2024. So do you guys anticipate that there will be another annual report added to the DCJS website at some point? Because like I mentioned early on, I think the most recent one that I could find was 2021. Yes, there will be an annual report added to the DCJS website. Sounds great. Well, we've been speaking with Julina Guo. She is the Director of Human Trafficking Prevention at the Division of Criminal Justice Services. Thanks for visiting us, Julina. Thank you so much, David. And we've also been speaking with Estelle Davis, Assistant Director and Coordinator of the Response to Human Trafficking Program at the State Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance. Thanks for visiting us, Estelle. Thank you. And to reach the National Human Trafficking Hotline, call 888-373-7888. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.